Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode of the Platinum Sombrero is brought to you by the Bridges and Hose Pants Emporium. Are your jeans obscene? Do you look whack in your slacks? Come on down to Britches and Hose and choose from a wide variety of legwear. We also offer on-site embroidery in case you want to look especially ridiculous. And if you've got a rip in your drawers, Britches and Hose can be stitching your clothes. We'll put new stitches in your britches. Located downtown, we're right next to the Pitches and Throws batting cage. Remember, britches ain't shit, but lederhosen and tricks. plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. Long fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes! 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 Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the first show of 2019 for the Platinum Sombrero. Brought to you, as always, by Armchair All-Americans in conjunction with MyBookie.ag. MyBookie.ag is the place to go. You got the national championship game coming down Monday night, Clemson versus Bama, part four. Just like the Rocky movies. Hopefully this number four is better than Rocky number four. Uh, But if you're wondering, just place a little wager on it. Go to MyBookie.ag and get the best lines possible. If you miss kickoff, don't worry. They've got live in-game scores as well. If you want to bet just one quarter score, if you want to bet an over-under, go ahead and go there. If you're confused on how it works, just give them a call. Talk with their customer service staff. They are the best in the business. And if you use our promo code BRAVES25, they will match your initial deposit up to 50%, which means you put in 100, they put in 50, you got 150 to play with right there. It is all easy to do. It is the best above board in the business. MyBookie.ag, promo code BRAVES25. Welcome to 2019, Doc. Hey, buddy. Uh, welcome to 2019. By the way, what's wrong with uh, Rocky Four? Uh, it's just not that good. I mean, Rocky after like Rocky Three, I think, might be the best one outside of Ooh. Rocky One. The original is probably the best. It's a hot take. That is a hot, hot take. Anyway, you know a really hot have- take. Rocky is like Rocky is a movie that I can watch if it's on TV. I will never go out of my way to watch Rocky. 
Oh, well, I mean, yeah, you don't... Rocky is not appointment level, especially, you know, once he was fighting uh, Clubber Lang and right. Thunder Lips and uh, it's you know, like Rocky. A, it's like a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. Any, like, I'll watch Bloodsport when it's on TV. I will never search for Bloodsport. Well, you don't own Time Cop on, uh, on Blu-ray? I do not. I, I also do not, so I, I totally get that. But I will tell you, I will tell you this. Out of all of the, the different... Uh, movie series that went to four Rocky four might've, might've been a bad one to pick. You could have gone with saw, you know, there, there's any number, there's any number. I, I, Rocky four is a very special one for me. Oh, is it? Well, that we actually did have Rocky four on VHS and, uh, when, when I was growing up, but, uh, VHS was the last time you owned a VHS tape. Well, I'm just going to say this then, since we're getting into this right off the bat and you're already coming at me strong. Uh, I believe most series should not go to four. Oh, no, I, especially, I totally agree. Especially when the premise is always the exact same in every movie. Un- unless you're going to do like uh, like Saw. How many Saws were there? There were seven? I don't seven know, saws? and I do not care. The same as Paranormal Activity. Like Paranormal Activity, the first one was good. After that, I did not need any of them. If you're going to make it to four, you need to make it to like nine. I think they made a ton of the, the Nightmare on Elm Street, ton of the Friday the 13th. They're all they're all horror movies. Friday the 13th. OK, that's 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 not a bad one. The number the first Friday the 13th wasn't that good. Second one is the one that everybody thinks of iconically, because, by the way, Jason is not the main villain in, in Friday the 13th. Number one, um, his mother is. That's the spoiler. Is it a spoiler? <laughs> you got to You're out of dropping spoilers. What is it from like 1978? Uh, you know, so let's not get into the fact that it's a 40 year old movie, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, there's, um, the middle part of the Friday, the 13th series was, was okay. If you, if you like that type of thing, but then it was like Jason takes Manhattan and then right. like J- Jason, Jason in X, space, Freddy versus you know. Jason. And it's like, what else can we add him in? It's kind of like the Michael Myers movies where like they start oh, out right. really good on Halloween and then there's like. That middle one where it's just all of a sudden, okay, we thought he was a normal dude before. Now he's like some antichrist summoned by druids, and then it got really weird. That's another one that just keeps going. Like the, they're just going to keep making those. I mean, they're they're approaching James Bond level. Bond, there's like thirty Bonds now. <laughs> they just keep remaking them. Oh yeah, like the, it, how many times can you just remake the original? Like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. See that's exactly. Oh, and that's one that Sarah doesn't get to pick our movies anymore. She dragged me to that that one, that last one that came out, I guess, and however long it was ago with Alexander Daddario and uh, where they tried to turn Leatherface into like a sympathetic figure. I was like, come on, man, this is garbage. <laughs> I've, I've never walked out. Actually, I take that back. I have walked out of one movie in my entire life. I almost if I if I had not been with Sarah, I would have walked out of that movie. That's, um, I mean, most of the time you're not really going to have like sympathetic figures doing chainsaw massacres. That's the, that's the whole thing about it is that this is a very unsympathetic person. So, um, that's an unneeded plot twist, but, uh, sometimes it's funny to get up and walk out of a movie. I walked out of Harold and Kumar escape from Guantanamo Bay because it was just as bad as you think it was. I didn't even see it for that very reason. Like yeah, Harold and Kumar's, you have to watch it once just because it's a cult classic. But as far as the movie itself goes, it's not a good movie. Oh no! I mean the the first one was was actually kind of funny. The second one was um, it was just hot garbage. It was really really bad. It's like Van Wilder. The first time you watch Van Wilder, 
It's a good movie. It's funny. Anytime after that, and then you get into Rise of Taj, like, all right, I don't need this anymore. Where's Deadpool? Yeah, Cal Penn is is kind of the uh, he's the main culprit here. He was in both of those movies, so he's he obviously carved out a niche for himself. But he went to work for the White House a couple of years ago, I think. Very odd, wasn't it? Like, yeah, I did not see that coming. I know he's a super smart guy, like an actual real degree and stuff like that. But uh, usually, I don't like my celebrities to be the ones that I'm uh, going to for political advice. I always think it's weird. The same thing when you see athletes where it's like, oh, Kevin Johnson is now the mayor of Sacramento or something. Like, like mayor, I don't care about. What does a mayor really do? Uh, I don't know. I've never run for mayor before. Just I've think never really looked into it. It's like, oh, this is like Jesse Ventura. Was was uh, was he a senator for Montana? Oh, the governor of the body. Governor, yeah. yeah. He was governor <laughs> for a few terms. Yeah. Yeah. He, um, I think everything kind of went south for him when he started doing all the conspiracy theory shows. And I think the last I heard he was doing something on history channel about aliens. I loved that conspiracy show. That was awesome. That's, that's another one. We were talking about movies where there's so many episodes. Uh, ancient aliens is another one where there's just <laughs> yes. seasons upon seasons upon seasons. Ancient aliens. You only know for that one dude with the weirdest hairstyle ever that just became the meme. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that's how most people have, have heard of that show. That, that guy made them famous. It's hilarious. Anyway, don't want to derail the show too much here in the very beginning. So if you stuck with us through that, we didn't talk a whole lot last week about much in free agency because, quite frankly, nothing was going on. Uh, after giving it a week, there, there's a few moves to talk about. Number one, let's get out of the way. I'm very upset that Yusei Kikuchi is a Mariner and not a Brave. I love Yusei Kikuchi. If you're a uh, an avid listener to the show. You've heard me mention him plenty of times in the months preceding free agency. Um, he was one of my favorite pitchers coming out. Not really a guy that's, you know, a number one per se. He's more of a three, but he's got an outstanding, outstanding curveball. Uh, he pitched for a long time in the Japanese leagues. He's always been good over there. Had a couple shoulder problems, which might have derailed him a little bit, but a very good mechanical pitcher. Um, very good stuff, multiple pitches. But he might have just gotten the weirdest deal I've ever seen. Yeah, that was that was kind of a weird one. He's uh it's kind of like a, a twist on on a player option, like meets an opt-out kind of. It's three years for how much what was the value on that? I want to say it was like three years. What was it? I want to say three years. I wanted to say sixty, but I think that's too much. It's definitely yeah, not was, sixty. It'll say like three and Three and thirty-eight, maybe, and then that that can trigger a four-year option, four-year extension. Just really, it's really creative, you know. I don't know if um, Jerry Depoto going all out, being weird. Yeah, that's that's another square on on Depoto bingo. Um, that I, I just I can't. Let's see. I, I'm trying to to build up a case for this outside of. We kind of had discussed before about the fact that when he came over, that the odds were it was going to be a West okay. Coast team. Base you deal know? is three. Here it is. Base deal is three years and forty three million. Following twenty twenty one, they can trigger a four year sixty six million dollar extension. If they decline to, to do so, Kikuchi can trigger a thirteen million dollar option for twenty twenty two or elect free agency. It's a fifty six fifty six mil guaranteed and can be worth as much as a hundred and nine million. It's like a football contract. <laughs> it's so weird. There's so many escalators on both sides there. I mean, that it is a, a very creative deal. 
Absolutely. And the Seattle thing, it makes sense. You know, Otani came over. He wanted to play on the West Coast. Ichiro came over. He wanted to play on the West Coast. Um, and and when Kikuchi was in the press conference, he was he was talking about his love for Ichiro and how he, you know, he, he wants to be a part of a part of that organization. So uh, it's interesting. It certainly tells me that Kikuchi doesn't read the Seattle newspaper. He doesn't know a lot about what's going on with their team right now. So um, but. I'm curious about the ripple. What does this mean for Mitch Hanniger? What does this mean for Edwin Encarnacion? Are they done trading their assets? Are they going to turn around and trade Kikuchi to the White Sox? I mean, what's <laughs> what's really going to happen here? I mean, that that would be interesting. That's a I, I I'm going back and forth now. I think that would be a pretty favorable contract to trade, but I think they're going to stick with Kikuchi because you know Depoto likes likes a splash signing and he likes to make a ton of trades. Now he's made, he's got the ton of trades marked off. Now he's got his splash signing. Just the Mariners do this every year where they get one guy that nobody thinks that they'll get. This year it's Kikuchi. I think it's a good deal. I think Kikuchi's going to be just fine up there. Uh, I think I think Safeco will fit him pretty well. Hanniger, it's interesting. Everybody expects Depoto to just wheel and deal and get rid of Hanniger. I don't know, man. He's he's an odd one. He might decide that Hanniger is in the long term future. He's cheap, so he might decide to keep Hanniger. He, I know he dealt Cano and he dealt Paxton. Those guys were about to make a ton of money, and Cano was already making a ton of money. He dealt Segura. That one's a little bit different. This that that whole Segura trade was weird. For for Hanniger, you still I and I could see it either way. I could see him holding on to it or him saying like this guy's gonna be what, what Freddie and Julio were to Atlanta's rebuild. Hanniger is going to be uh to Seattle's rebuild. So like you said, he's cheap, he's under control for four more years. So you could actually see a scenario where they could compete again in twenty twenty one or twenty two, um, with him still on the team, but at the same time He's, he's never done. Some GMs you can just see come from a mile away. They get a deal done and they say, okay, that's it. We're going to stand pat for a while. Depoto, you never know. You never, ever know with him. So well, The only thing you do know is that he's talking to a lot of people. All the time. And and whether it's he's trying to swing just like a, a one-for-one deal for minor leaguers or if he's trying to trying to trade a five-for-one for major major leaguers for minor leaguers, you know, he's always up to, up to something creative. So... I'll give him credit, know. man. He he goes for it. He is a risk taker. He is, and even still, with those risks that he's taking, it's it's still just like he can't decide which direction he wants to go because that team is not going to win the AL West. No, I think last year was the best shot they had at it when they started off so well, and then they kind of tailed off there at the end and kind of lost it. I think that kind of put a sour taste in the mouth, but it gave Depoto kind of a taste of holy crap, this can actually happen. Yeah, and they they are currently running the longest streak in all of baseball since it's uh, since they've made it to a playoff series. It's been a 17, 18 seasons. Two thousand one was the last one. Um, but yeah, as it stands now, they're they're third place at best, and that and that's you know they they got rid of Segura, like you said, they got rid of Cano, owed a lot of money, but still was productive when he came back from the suspension. Paxton, this was his healthiest year, so who who knows if he was actually going to be able to recreate any of that? But there's just Weird shifting for the sake of shifting. I imagine that this is what when other teams fans were looking at copy a couple years ago. This is what the, what they saw. He's just trading the trade. 
Right. He he got bored on a Wednesday and called up the Twins and traded for Danny Santana. Okay. Another thing on that Paxton thing, I wonder, has anybody ever been traded after a season in which they threw a a perfect game or a no-hitter? That is actually a really good question. So I can't remember it. I don't know if Halliday ever got a no-no and then got traded the year right before he went to Philly. Hey, Brave Stats, I know you're listening. Can you look that up for us and, and please report back? We'd Get really back appreciate to us. it. Get back to us. We'll, we'll yeah, see thanks. about making you an intern. Thanks, Paul. The best. <laughs> but the, that's not the only signing. Unfortunately, the other signing is kind of bad for Atlanta. The Phillies do a really good deal, and they signed David Robertson, who was one of my under-the-radar under key targets for the bullpen. David Robertson is a guy that nope, you don't ever really think about. He's just kind of there. You might recognize the name. But nobody really understands how good he's been and how consistent he's been throughout his career. He was buried on some terrible White Sox teams. He goes over to the Yankees, and he's just another face in that monster bullpen that features Batances and Araldis Chapman, so you know you're not sticking out there. But Robertson is an outstanding pitcher. Oh, he's great, and he's super durable, too. He's pitched, uh, let's see, we're looking at, he's had 60-plus appearances in every single year since 2010. Highest uh, FIP of his entire career is 358. He did that twice, and it's been under three every year since 2011. I mean, this guy is super reliable, doesn't walk a ton, strikes out a bunch of guys. I mean, he's every every single thing you look for in a reliever, and damn it, now he plays for Philadelphia. Which, by the way, that's kind of exactly what Philadelphia needs for a really young bullpen with Sir Anthony Dominguez, who looks dominant. But you could tell at times he wasn't quite ready for that closer role last year. And when he wasn't closing, Dominguez was like a 205 ERA, just lights out everywhere. Once he got bumped into the closer role, he got a little bit shaky. And that's to be expected from young guys. But they've got a few other guys, Edubre Ramos and Victor Arano. They've, they've got some pieces in that bullpen. They're just really young. Adding a guy like Robertson in there, it gives you a stabilizing element. And it gives you a guy who you know what he's going to give you night in and night out. Philly's no joke. They even if they don't wind up landing landing Manny or Bryce, then they still it almost would be advantageous for them to not land either because then they can they can fill multiple holes. You know, like I know I know that you've got certain feelings about Dallas Keuchel, but if they were to add Keuchel and Kimbrel on top of already adding McCutcheon and Segura and now Robertson, I mean that's a good off season. I, I hope I hope they add Keuchel. I hope they add him because Keuchel is going to get vastly overpaid. And we were talking about this a little bit before the show. Dallas Keuchel is a guy that he has that flash in the pan year. He's like the pitcher equivalent to AJ Pollock. He has that one year where you're like, holy crap, look at this guy, and that reputation carries him over for years and years. I would I would say he was the worst pitcher on that Astros staff last year. And, uh, you know, you're probably not far from the truth, but that's that's not necessarily his fault as much because, I mean, when you're in the same rotation with Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander, I mean, you're, you're a, that's a lot. That's know, a lot. I know it's a good Charlie rotation, Morton. and I'm, I'm not saying that to say that Keiko's bad per se, but he's going to get paid high-end number two money or even low-end number one money, and that's not Keiko. No, I mean he he's absolutely going to get paid. Like he and Kikuchi were the the top top free agent starters that are that are kind of out there on the market. So I mean, you're talking about a guy uh, career three sixty six ERA, three seventy two FIP, and a three forty seven X FIP. You know that's not that's not bad. It's not great. It's essentially Julio Tehran's numbers. 
if you take out his rookie year there and actually his first two years, though, those are pretty shaky. Uh, once he, 2014, once he turned the corner, you know, that's going to bring his, bring his ERA and his fit down to about 3.3, you know, so he's, he's better than the, than the career line indicates, but at the same time, his strikeout numbers are way down. And, uh, I don't know. He's he's probably not going to wind up coming here. And the thing about a guy like that being overpaid for a team with as much money to spend as Philadelphia has doesn't matter to them. They can just, you know, team stupid money. They can just keep throwing money at people. So if they they have their druthers about them and they decide they want to give Dallas Keuchel 20 million dollars a year. I mean, that's more than I would probably care to give him for four years, which is probably about say he'll, he'll get four and 80 and it'll cost Philadelphia a draft pick. I mean, I, I don't just, know. You, I'd rather roll with the young guys than go on somebody like Keichel. If you could get uh, him cheap, then sure. But I'm just, I I'm not real big. Like I'm just like all of you, maybe more so than a lot of you. I want the Braves to make a nice big move so we have something to talk about. But I am not. I am not in the move in the business of making a move just to make a move. I'm kind of to that point. <laughs> I don't care what it is. I just want something to talk about. I, I get um, that part, but man. <sighs> My point here is like my my and I don't want to I don't want to dump on Keiko because he does some really good things. He's a really good ground ball pitcher, and for Philly that would be paramount. But we've talked about it before when you're talking about guys who are quote unquote ground ball guys or sinker ball pitchers. Adam Ottavino talked about it where it's not necessarily the best thing because you're playing to induce contact, and that means the number of mistakes are going to be amplified. I'm more in the business. Give me guys that are going to strike out a ton of people, and I know everybody says that. But that's kind of what I'm focusing on. So if the guys that we've got, whether that be, I think Soroka can be a top flight pitcher right out the gate this year. As long as he stays healthy, I have full confidence in Soroka. I don't think he sees the struggles that you normally see. I think he's too grounded for that. I think he's always evolving his game. Um, Whether you see Tukey take another step forward, whether a guy like Bryce comes out and shocks everybody, I, I am fully comfortable with what we have right now starting pitching-wise. I would love an ace, and to me, that's the that's the move. I'm not in the business of adding another number three or another number four. I'm fine with the young guys for that. If you're not talking about adding an ace, like a Corey Kluber, who's probably not going to get dealt, uh, or a Madison Bumgarner, who they're apparently asking the world for like idiots because San Francisco can't get out of their own way. If you're not talking about adding an ace guy like that, then starting pitching is way down on my list of priorities. So, as it pertains to Sonny Gray, then, I know the answer to this. Never! Never Sonny! <laughs> Never, ever Sonny. Okay. I mean, I've, I do find it interesting that, uh, you know, recently there, there was talk that there was going to be a, a three-way deal before Profar, uh, Jerks and Profar got traded to Oakland. Then a good three-way move by deal. Oakland, by the way. Profar is a good guy to get, especially now that oh. he's kind of realizing some of that potential. Yeah, well, now he's now he's able to to stay a little healthier. So only took him five years. Yeah, like he was the number one prospect in baseball for for a, a while. long time. He was touted as like the next Alex Rodriguez, essentially for Texas. Like he was that guy. Yeah, and the hype was really real, but it, you know it took him till he was twenty four, twenty five, but he finally got there. But so he's in Oakland, and there had been talk that there was going to be a, a three way deal between uh, Texas and the uh, Yankees and the Braves where Sonny Gray would have wound up coming to Atlanta. Now, regardless of whether you think he should be here, which let's hear it one more time. Never, never sunny. sunny, never sunny. Um, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. It's never sunny in Atlanta. There you go. So like, regardless of how you feel about 
Sonny Gray, then I do find it interesting that, you know, just this is let this be a lesson to anybody who thinks the front office is not tr- attempting to do something, you know, whether you like it or not, then like they're, they are still doing things. They're still trying to get creative about certain things. And I'm, I'm intrigued by that, but it does tell me also that the Braves have talked to the Rangers or they've kind of gotten an idea. Cause like in that deal, the Braves would have wound up sending uh, prospects to Texas because Profar would have wound up going to the Yankees in this three-way deal. So if Texas is looking at prospects for the Braves, then I am curious about what it could mean for filling other holes outside of that starting pitching vacancy, like no more Mazzara or like Joey Gallo, who I am not even enthusiastic about a little bit, but I mean, if Texas is is looking at a Braves prospects, then that, that could be something that could be revisited. I'm going to say this. If we end up getting Joey Gallo, I will kill that. I will absolutely kill that. I hate Joey Gallo. (laughs) He is a quintessential guy, and we've talked about this before. We probably said it last week, but he is a guy. Traditional metrics make some players look better than others, like your 300 slapstick hitter that just hits nothing but uh, singles. Traditional metrics make him look better and more valuable than he is. Joey Gallo is a prime example of looking purely at analytical stats and not actually watching the player and thinking this guy's great. He is not at all. No, he's he's Rob Deere. He's Adam Dunn. He's Mark Reynolds. He's he is that. I I am out of all of the different options, Joey Gallo is to me the least least impressive one. I would rather sign Nick Markakis to a lifetime contract than get Joey Gallo. I'd rather uh, trade for Shinsu Chu than Joey Gallo. Wow. Um, and I'm not a Shinsu Chu fan, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, if we're talking to Texas, this this could also be an option. Um, I don't I don't know. I I think Mazzara Mazzara could be interesting. He's been wholly average and has not li- lived up to the potential that he had uh, coming up as a prospect, as most prospects don't. But uh, I would man, it does could, scare me though. If you're if you're average offensively in that ballpark, that is frightening. Yeah, I mean, hitting 260 with 20 home runs, that's... You know, those are playable numbers, but like that's one of the few ballparks that I will knock some points off. It's like Coors Field or Great American Ballpark. I'll knock some points off when you leave that ballpark. Right, so the fact that, that Gallo is also hitting, um, you know, 45 home runs, he's, he's not exactly hitting wall scrapers, but... Uh, no, Gallo's but, yes. different because when he makes contact, like, that's, that's entirely Gallo's game. I'm going to swing as hard as I possibly can. I'm going to try to lift everything as much as humanly possible and just try to play to outside of the stadium every at-bat. And 60% of the time, I'm going to strike out. 30% of the time, I'm going to pop up. But 10% of the time, I'm going to bang it. So everything he hits... You're talking about a guy that had more home runs than, than singles, which sounds awesome, but do you realize how impossible that should be? Well, it sounds great until you have to watch it day after day. I mean, you you Might can well just, just resign Dan Ugla. Yeah, you can just pull up clips of Gallo hitting home runs. You don't have to to watch him 162 games and, and happen to stumble across some magic. Goodness gracious! But you know, in 2016, his launch angle was 37.6. Uh, percent That's ridiculous. That's like that is when you used to watch Mark McGuire swing. Like McGuire did that, where he would just drop the bat head and just nuke it. That's what Gallo tries to do. The difference is McGuire was like McGuire was just really adept at actually doing that. His wow! If uh, 
if you get a chance, go to his baseball savant page and look at some of some of his 2016 stats. I think that was yeah, that was one of the years that he was just kind of going back and forth. He only played 17 games that year, but th- that is some comical comical stuff for him so i don't know it could could be interesting there's still there's still a ton of time if you're listening to this and you're you're freaking out about the fact that braves are moving slow everybody's moving slow except for philly which makes it look amplified so um you know just hang tight we're not gonna go into the season with adam duvall as our starting right fielder at least i hope Uh, not i just i can't i can't i I don't see a way that you can do that either but you know if i also think if i think alex has his has his price of what he's willing to give up, and if nobody meets that price, he will roll with Duval. I, I think he'd bring back Marquegas instead of um, rolling with Duval full time. Marquegas faded down the stretch, but uh, I think that having having him back, and you know, he's apparently already talked to Freddie about you are going to take a couple of days <laughs> off this coming year. You know, and I think that was the biggest thing for Nick was that he didn't miss any games last year either. So I think. It wouldn't be the worst thing. This Twitter would absolutely cave in on itself and create a black hole, which would be which would be interesting to see in its own right. It's not the worst option, especially when you start looking at what else is out there. So, like, if other teams need an outfielder and the Braves bring back Marquecas, then everybody else is screwed because then you're looking at bringing in Carlos Gonzalez not in Coors Field. You're bringing, bringing in 33-year-old Adam Jones as opposed to Adam Jones from a couple years ago. Holy crap, so, by the way, sorry to interrupt, but I am looking at Joey Gallo's StatCast page right now in 2016. One yeah. for 30? <laughs> yeah, uh, hit is, uh, had a 16.7% hard hit rate, expected batting average of z- .057. That's not, not bad. That's not possible. No, that's, that's quite terrible. 63.3% uh, strikeout rate. Granted, this was a couple years ago, and he has grown into the free swinger thing a little bit more. But uh, I just, I just came here looking for the launch angle. I got completely distracted by the fact that everything else was was just so eye poppingly extreme in every direction. It's amazing, and then like he runs like a thirty eight percent strikeout percentage last year. That's just mm-hmm. I can't, I can't, I cannot do that. I will gouge out my eyes. That's that's a lot to deal with, you know. And big with big power comes big strikeouts. I mean, you can you can get that. From Does Austin it, Riley? Yeah, exactly. That's my point. It, I it's it's a tricky situation because Atlanta, you want to go for it. I want them to go for it. We all want them to go for it, but we don't want to be a flash in the pan type of team. And I I understand all of that too. They're in this weird predicament where they've got a ton of of players in the minors unfortunately they're not all position players unfortunately a lot of them all play the same position which leads a lot of teams to over ask because they know that the braves can pay it that's that's part of the problem it's like they're calling alex's bluff so i I, i'm interested to see i'm like you i don't think they roll with duval i really don't want to see carlos gonzalez or adam jones really really don't want to see adam jones trying to play the outfield at this stage of his career but I won't be shocked if that's where the Braves end up. I think that they would go with those two before Nick Marcakis. I think Cargo might have the upper hand there just because of the relationship with Ender, but who knows if how much that actually gets gets taken into account. Then again, this is the same front office that kept Ryan Flaherty around for an entire year because he was Marcakis' brother-in-law. <laughs> Certainly was not about offensive production. Well, no, that's so. because Marcakis was literally feeding off of his life energy. Marcakis was like a Chinese vampire and just feeding <laughs> off of – Ryan Flaherty's chi so he could improve himself. 
I actually want Ryan Flaherty as some type of life coach or some type of figure in my life because can you imagine the intangibles that guy must have to have stuck around through batting .032 for an entire season? I mean, that that guy, he's a guy that I would point to and say he's going to be a coach one day because he got a lot of up-close lessons from the bench. And I'm not saying that to be derogative, but that those guys tend to be the best coaches. Like the guys that are the great natural players, generally they suck as coaches. You know why? Because the game came way easier to them, and they can't really explain how they do what they do. Yeah, it's like uh, whenever you see, you know, we talked about athletes going into politics. You see the same thing when athletes wind up going into front offices. Cough, cough, Derek Jeter. Uh, <laughs> cough, or, cough, or cough, John Elway. Michael Jordan, you know, they're uh, – his first draft pick was Kwame Brown. How did <laughs> right. that work out for you? Right. Uh, uh, yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, he he could be a, a definite uh, definite candidate for that one day. I think he even mentioned that that he would like to uh, get into that one day. Speaking of which, former Braves bench player Matt Tuiasosopo will be the uh, Rome Braves manager next year. Oh, he's going to be the actual manager. Manager. Yeah, he has officially retired, and he's uh, he had that that one year, and uh, I guess it was twenty sixteen. Where he was, uh, he came up and he he played uh, for just a couple games, spent a large part of the season at Gwinnett. He has got his first ever managerial job, so uh, congrats to him, and you know, good for you for sticking with uh, with the organization. Very cool. It's always nice to see lifers like that. I always, I kind of wanted them to bring back like Todd Cunningham or Joey Tardoslovich when their time is up too. Oh, those guys are Christian Martinez. Christian Martinez. Oh, I, <laughs> I, Christian Martinez was never good. I loved him so much for some for some whatever reason. I loved Christian Martinez. I guess I used to refer to him as the white flag because I don't know like if it's, I saw him throw a game against St. Louis filling in as a start and he was like fantastic and I from then on I was like, "Yeah, go on Christian." And then it just he was horrible forever after that. But I I I wanted him to do so well. I every time like when he was still on the Braves was when I was kind of emerging out of my, uh, my baseball black hole where I don't remember anything. And I remember every time I would turn the game on, it would be like eight, one brave <laughs> brave is coming out. Yeah. It's like, okay, well it looks like we're surrendering here. So bring in Martinez. There's the white flag. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and change the channel. <laughs> he was, he was that guy. All right, we're getting beat Christian. You're going to come in in the sixth inning. Just finish out this game. Yeah, the, he was like the Luke Jackson of the of the t- two thousand nine two thousand ten Braves, but that was a team that had Kenshi and Kawakami on it. So I I didn't and that Derek, wasn't even my Kenshi and Kawakami and Derek Lowe. God, those two guys. Goodness uh, gracious! And Derek Lowe was like that was the one, and I and I love my Braves, but when you plant your flag on, we got Derek Lowe. Cool. We got thirty six year old Derek Lowe. Oh. Great, fantastic! The I look first forward thing he to the. Did, by the way, like the first thing he did was get a DUI. I remember that, yeah. And then, then he posted uh, uh, just subpar numbers throughout the entire entire situation. I remember the day that his contract got getting offloaded. That was a very very happy day. <laughs> yeah. I just I couldn't stand Derek Lowe. I almost went back into exile because of some of the different guys on the team. Brooks Conrad, outside of the grand slam he hit against the Reds, suck it. So many errors by Brooks Conrad, but he's going to have a, a, a legend in the Braves history. Scott, That's you true. Scott Thorman, Canadian Hulk. 
Oh, I remember, I remember some Scott Thorman. That's yeah. another guy. I wanted. I I was hoping he would be so much better than he was. He is what I think of when I think of Braxton Davidson. I think I think that's fair. And uh, Cody Johnson, who uh, Cody Johnson never got never got a whole lot of play, but uh, Reed Johnson, I, Kelly Johnson. <laughs> we need to bring back Kelly Johnson. Trade him to the Mets for the fourth time. I, you know what? That deal got us Akeel Morris, which eventually got us some cash. So you know, it was, <laughs> it's a net profit, guys. Yeah, it wasn't a total wash. And uh, John Gant and that weird ass delivery for, with the Vulcan change, season. man. Hey, you know that that's not a balk. Okay, what he was doing was not a balk, dude. He throws a Vulcan change. That's awesome, just for that. Hey, that's and but he and he wound up getting tra- you see once you start starting the. Uh, the tree of trades and everything starts branching out where it's like he came over from the Mets and then wound up getting Jaime, he, uh, Jaime Garcia in that deal. Got us, we sorry, and, Noah. Yeah, exactly. So if Noah winds up getting traded, then the, the tree will grow another branch and the, the legend of John Gant will grow a little bit more again. That was, ah, man. I remember the Cardinals thought they really got something in him. They tried him so long before they kind of gave up and pushed him into the Christian Martinez white flag role. Yeah, I, he was. Last I heard, he was he was still riding the AAA Express, except now he was riding in between St. Louis and Memphis. And you know, long relief. If John Gant is pitching in the fourth inning, turn the game off. <laughs> if he's pitching in the fourth inning, something has gone horribly wrong. Yeah, and yeah, he he seemed like a like a nice enough guy. I always wanted him to to get the shot, but you know, him and Rob Whalen and Chris Ellis and all of these other transient prospects we had that stuck around for just a minute to get us some other new shiny prize. You know, thank you for your service. We got it from here. Was it Chris Withrow was a guy too, for a while that I thought he was going to be way more involved than he was. Yeah. Oh yeah. That was part of that one Uribe deal. Now that is a deal that I will look back fondly on. Cause one, it got rid of Eric Stoltz and two, it, it brought in one Uribe. I loved Eric Stoltz from Mask? The guy from Mask was on the Braves? Uh, Yeah, same guy. It's the exact same guy. Oh, man. We should have really marketed that better on social media. Uh, You know, we missed a golden opportunity. It was a rebuild. Everybody was jumbled. There was a few other, and I know we're kind of digging into this whole little bit of, of past Braves, but there's been so many Braves that, like, we have hung our hats on for years and years and years, and then when we finally see them, they just don't work. Like uh, Randall Delgado. Do you remember Randall Delgado when he was coming up? Oh, yeah. I remember him him getting traded in the Justin Upton deal and kind of shedding a bit of a tear. Him and Julio were supposed to be our dynamic duo, and the question wasn't where does he fit. The question was he's is he going to be better than Julio? Most people thought Delgado was actually going to be better than Julio. And oh, absolutely! And it wound up being that Brandon Drury was the best part of that deal, <laughs> right? And we dealt yeah. him right away. Yeah, I love yeah. me some Brandon Drury too. And that I wasn't super into prospects at the time of that deal. Delgado, I obviously knew because he was uh, he had kind of come up with Julio, and he was he was a little closer to the majors. Drury was still like thinking low A or high low A. a. He was just taking we take him out of Oregon State. Sounds right. Something like that. Maybe. But yeah. Delgado, by the way, he just signed a minor league deal with the White Sox. It's actually a pretty good deal. Delgado's yeah. a guy that I don't know he's ever going to be anything, but it's hard to let go when you when you tell a guy or when you say this guy's got ace potential. 
Like Lucas Sims. We were told for years that Lucas Sims had ace potential. And then then it turned into, well, maybe number two. Well, maybe number four, two. All right, let's ship him to Cincinnati. Right. And you see now with the, the advent of MILB TV or the, how it's growing more into prominence, it doesn't take very long to watch Lucas Sims and go, uh, guys, I don't think <laughs> this guy has ace potential. Guys, that's a lot of home runs. Yeah, I don't want to ruin it for anybody, but um, I'm gonna pick the other guy. So yeah, that that was. And how about how about Christian Bethencourt? He was the he was supposed to be the he was savior. The guy. He was the reason why we traded Jared Saltalamakia. He was the reason why they, why they let Brian McCann walk. Like we got this guy Bethencourt, who's got the best arm of any catcher we've ever seen. He's a phenomenal is- defensive catcher. He blocks everything, and we think he's got power. And then he couldn't do any of it. He had an arm. He had a real good arm. Yeah, but he that couldn't was- catch the ball. I've never no, seen a catcher yeah. struggle to it's catch like- a ball as much as like Gary Sanchez looks at that dude and says, "Hey, man, you got to work on your defense." Yeah, and and just it's so weird, you know. You buy into these things, and so when when people start start talking about trading prospects, oh, we're going to trade Austin Riley. Oh no, we can't trade Austin Riley. Uh, we can't trade Ian Anderson. We can't, you know. I don't want to trade any of these guys either. But at the same time, I wouldn't have wanted to have traded Christian Betancourt. Right. At the same was, time, I remember Christian Betancourt. Like, I, yeah, I'm. We could have, you know, we got Matt Whistler. And Padres fans were go, oh no, I can't believe we traded Whistler. And then after about eight days, they're like, ha. <laughs> <laughs> we we knew he was going to be that bad. We screwed you guys. Yeah, how's Matt Whistler doing, suckers? You so, enjoy? Oh, well, then you just say, how's BJ Upton? Yeah. Or right, I'm sorry, right. I'm sorry, Melvin. Uh, yes, yes, he is. He is now officially Melvin, the first. Um. But yeah, just that's the the hard thing about attaching yourself to prospects is because every every once in a while you wind up getting somebody who just comes completely out of nowhere and and becomes a, a true guy, or you have somebody who is touted to be a guy that just winds up going into total obscurity. Huh. Andy Marte, huh. Randall that's, Simon. I mean, you're talking almost almost like a number one overall pick recently. I don't know. <sighs> Dylan, I swear to God, <laughs> I didn't say I didn't say anything. Whatever, uh, but. Uh, you're you're totally right. I like this trip down memory lane of just the uh, the guys that we pinned all of our hopes and dreams on. Jose Peraza comes to mind. Who oh, you trade our number one prospect away? And uh, well, I'm glad Jose kind of figured some things out, but that career did not turn out like people thought. It's it's good. It's a good thing to to see him like go somewhere and actually thrive. You know what I mean? Like Jordan his- Schaefer. Jordan Schaefer, <laughs> get out of here! I can do nothing but laugh. Oh man, Dude, Jordan Schaefer is high right now. Uh, he's probably tweaked out right now. Don't forget, he got busted with coke like twice. Oh Jesus, why, dude? <laughs> looked why like a twelve-year-old. Be- like he looked like a pissed-off twelve-year-old, like constantly. That was his face. Yeah, you know, everybody's got that one buddy that when they they try and grow like. Uh, grow out their goatee or whatever and they give it like three weeks worth of growth and it, and it finally starts to look like stubble jordan schaefer still looks like that and he's like 35 I'm pretty sure he had a chin strap which was the moment that i knew he was going to be garbage oh yeah the uniburn yeah yeah that, there's there's no place for that no if you have a chin strap it basically means that you're a garbage human being <laughs> either that or you just can't grow a mustache it means that you have smoked a cool in your pajamas. <laughs> uh, yeah, and live till you smoked cool in your pajamas. 
I mean, am I wrong? Uh, you're not. I, I never said you were wrong. Played dice outside, rolling against on the cardboard box. Um, you're painting a very accurate picture right now. That's that's what I think of when I think of Jordan Schaefer. Like, are I, these pajamas or is it a robe? Oh no, he's never heard of a robe. Uh, this is a guy that that's... thinks a bath towel is a robe. No, that's Jordan Schaefer. Like that. I. <laughs> That was uh that was bad because that was right after Andrew because that was when everybody's like oh well it's okay we'll just replace Andrew with Jordan Schaefer he's just as good defensively and he's even faster and he was not. I never fully bought into the hype with him. But, Pretty sure but he this, had a homer in his first again, at bat. By the way, didn't he also homer his first at bat? I think so. He he came out of the gates really strong. Um, you you know who I actually couldn't stand that was playing in the Braves outfield around that time it was Nate McClough. You didn't like McClough? I hated Nate McClough. Could not stand him. Couldn't thought, stand him. I thought it was a good deal at the time, and then it quickly turned into a bad deal. Well, and that that's the thing. Like when he was playing with Pittsburgh, he was great. But then he got here and just was he, he was playing like Jordan Schaefer, basically. Hey, he was an all star. Bite your tongue. Eh, whatever. Nick Markakis was a gold glover. Not all, not all Touché. awards are earned. Touche. Well, from from speaking about pre- Braves of of past and present and future, let's move on to uh, for our for our New Year's resolutions. And not talking about mine and yours, Doc. Mine, of course, would be to uh, continue. My New Year's resolution is to not dump on Dansby as often. I will try to be better about that. But for the Braves, what are some New Year's resolutions you have for our Atlanta Braves? Well, I mean, there's so many different angles you could take. I mean, we could do front office. We could do pitchers, hitters. We could do the broadcast booth. Got one for the interpreter. So, I mean, there's if I'm if I'm Sean Newcomb, well, how about this? Let's start with Sean Newcomb. If I'm Sean Newcomb, I'm saying I will reincorporate my changeup into my arsenal because when he was leaning on his changeup more than his curveball, that was like. April, May, Sean Newcomb, that was... The Colorado uh, Rockies game, Sean Newcomb. That was where he first really... That was the first game where he really kind of really used his changeup. That was kind of the game where he really featured it. And when he went toe-to-toe with Blake Snell, that game against the Rays, that's another one where he was just... That was that was ace-level Newcomb. His when game he was, against the Dodgers. There's the theme here. His yeah. best games are when he uses a heavy dose of that changeup. Ditch that slider completely. That slider he threw is the worst was the worst pitch in his arsenal by far, and he threw it like fourteen percent, way too much. And his control is not to the point where he can afford to really get cute with stuff. Like he's got to stick with what works. It's and like that, his changeup, by the way, his changeup is not like a supreme changeup. Like it's it's not like a seventy grade changeup. It's you know it doesn't move a ton. It fades a bit at the end, and he throws it about 86, 87. But it's got that big difference between his fastball, and it's not that big looper like his curve. So that's the thing with hitters. When they know if he's throwing off speed, it's going to be some looping pitch. Well, his changeup is is enough off to where it keeps a hitter off balance. Then he can actually use that big looper. Yeah, absolutely. It, it doesn't have to be an elite pitch to, to be effective. So I think that just – I wonder – Newcomb is probably, aside from Julio, like he kind of stands to lose his roster spot oh, more I, than more than anybody. Hundred percent agree. Like, yeah. I, I would be. I don't know that I'd be shocked if he's moved at the beginning of the season. I said I'd be shocked if he's still on the team. I think if any pitcher gets moved, it's Sean Newcomb. I think so because you're going to get the biggest return for him because exactly. he's 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 proven 
he's proven that he can really do it when he puts it all together. I know that you've mentioned before that he was Chuck Hernandez guy. I do wonder about uh, how working with Rick Kranitz will go with him. But I think that for any of the pitchers that um, that working with Kranitz is going to be huge because anything that you read from any of the Philadelphia pitchers last year were just glowing about him. You know, and they Aaron Nola career year. Yeah, and even even guys who didn't wind up having super dominant years like Nick Pavetta, I mean, really benefited from working with him. So, um, but hopefully, if, if any improvement from Nuke um, over second half Nuke it, going into this this coming year could be just huge. I, I really would love to see it. And um, his rotation mate Fulty has already kind of taken the steps that that we hope Nuke will take this coming year. So if I am Mike Fultonavich, then I am going to, one, I'm going to immediately get my wife pregnant because having a child was when he finally was able to start harnessing his emotions and keeping himself chill, right? And then second, uh, I I will vow to be the only Braves pitcher who remembers anything that was taught by Chuck Hernandez. See, his Fulton you know, was the only pitcher whose walk rate dropped? Pretty much. I mean, and just Chuck seemed like such a... He just gave off a vibe. I can't even put my finger on it. But even with the interviews with him, he just came off as really – he's not pompous and he wasn't a dick, but he as just the, was kind of – As the Brits would say, he was a knob. He was a knob. Yeah, he was a bit of a knob. He was – you know, and uh, maybe something clicked with Fulty and he was able to listen to him for that because at least on the mound, Fulty's demeanor seems very guarded, like he's like pitching inside a castle or and like some type of some type of brick wall. Right? And How he, dare you cross my moat by calling that a ball? Right. Absolutely. And I, I still like <laughs> can see the image in my head of Fulty just throwing his hands up in the air, like what the hell, dude? Like I, I <laughs> that was uh, that was that was angry Fulty, and that's I laugh now, but it was not funny when you were watching it. Because you right. knew as soon as he did that, you knew it was all downhill. Yeah, as soon as as soon as it starts to creep in, but he he did get better about it. He got know? way and, better at that in 2018, and I, I agree with you. Keep the wife pregnant. Just keep popping out kids. Be you know, be like be like a, a Mormon. Be like a Vander Holyfield and just pop out 12 of them. And and it's funny too because with with the emotions and with that super bulldog demeanor, like seeing him with his son, like. You would never know that's the same guy, you know. Like that dude, that dude loves his kid. It's it's nice to see, you know. Well, since we're talking about that, I got a guy. My AJ Minter, my vow to stop throwing my cutter ninety eight percent of the time, to ditch my stupid cutter, go back to throwing a slider, and oh, I don't know, throw my change up. Like, dude, he. If you look at the numbers against uh, Minter's change up last year. Amazing! I can't believe that he was only running off the four seamer and off of the uh, the cutter. Off of, like, off of he the cutter, yeah. Ditched his slider, which was a really good pitch. Completely ditched it for that cutter. And what happens? Oh, I don't know. Predictable. The Rockies game. He threw like five straight cutters before he gave up the game winner. That Rockies game will never be okay for the main reason that we were both sitting right there going, "You know what's what's yeah, going to happen?" For right the main now. reason of what Adam Ottavino did. To the Braves, and on my New Year's resolution, I'm not going to name any names, but you know what I'm talking about. Pitching Ninja had a gif of it. Um, and then for Minter to come out and throw exclusively his cutter. He didn't throw a single other pitch. Yeah, it was... Um, it, he thought it he was got, Mariano Rivera. 
it just got really excessive. And and it's not it's not that he wasn't effective with with that pitch, but it comes back to deception. It comes back to changing sequencing. Speeds. I'm telling yeah. you, it is more it is better for those pitchers to have differing speeds on pitches. He throws his fastball ninety nine, he throws his cutter ninety seven. The cutter's awesome and it moves a lot. That's a two mile an hour difference. So if he's already geared up to hit your ninety nine, he's gonna hit your ninety seven. Yeah, absolutely. So if you can incorporate something like even if it's like a slider or sir something, I mean just a little bit more separation. Like if his slider can touch, I don't know, 89 or something, then that's still that 10 miles per hour of Huge. separation is humongous. It's like what we talk about with the Raldis Chapman. Everybody knows he can throw 103. What is the pitch? What is his wipeout pitch? It's not the fastball. It's his slider. Craig Kimbrell, same thing. What makes Kimbrell so nasty? It's his slider. It's the off-speed pitch because you're geared up to face 99-100. And when you come in at 10-mile-an-hour difference with that type of movement, you're a much better pitcher. No doubt about it. So I think that, that if, if Mentor can do that, if he can, even if he just lays off 10% off the cutter and, ramps and replaces all of that with a slider, then I, I think that you are looking at somebody who is elite level. Kranitz may have to fight him. Kranitz may have to physically punch him in the face. That is going to be an uphill battle for Kranitz because A.J. Mitchell is a big dude. No, that's, that's what you brought him a can for. Well, that's fair. They do kind of favor each other a little bit, <laughs> um, Minter and uh, Minter and McCann do. But uh, so for somebody that has been much maligned in Braves country, still loved, enthusiastically loved by some and much maligned by others, uh, Julio Tehran. For Julio Tehran, I have I will swallow my pride and enter the driveline program <laughs> with or, Colby Allard. Let me add an addendum. Also, Julio Tehran, part D. I will pick a direction and stick with it. <laughs> I will either be a uh, an Anibal Sanchez movement based pitcher, or I will go back to trying to overpower. I will not do this weird thing where start to start, one start I'm throwing 86, and the next one I'm throwing 94. The 86, thing, that was a game against the Padres, right? I yeah. think Normally yeah. you sit in 87 to 89 because it's his two-seam. The, yeah. the difference there is there were games, like one game after the next. One game he would throw his two his two seam. That would be the 87-89 games. And then the next game he would like ditch that effort and throw his four seam, which would be the 92-93. Pick a style and stick with it. Like we said, Fulty's going to be the only one here who is remembering the tutelage of one Chuck Hernandez. So even even if he's not able to to get some uh, any type of velocity back from mechanics tweaks from working with Kranitz or whatever, you know you look at you look at what Driveline has done. Kyle Muller was was a great example of it. I mean, some of it might have just been general fatigue, overwork. I mean, Texas high school pitchers are are notorious for for being overworked. So after he got drafted, he was held back. He was an extended. He 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 never quite made it where he needed to be. So. Once he went and did driveline, you know, we saw him the following year and he was touching 97 in the Futures game. I mean, he got Davidson thrown 103 off a pull down. Yeah, that's that's legit, you know. Which, and by uh, the way, for anybody that doesn't know what that is or the significance, that does not mean Tucker Davidson is throwing a 103 mile an hour pitch. No, I mean, that was like um, it was like he gave it the, the happy Gilmore 
Essentially, um, on a pull down, you take about eight miles an hour off, and that's the speed you're sitting at. Which means Tucker Davidson's up from about ninety to where he could probably touch ninety five consistently, which is good. Ninety four, ninety five is perfect. That's fine. And 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 part of being uh, in a program like that, you you learn a lot. You just kind of learn how to tweak things on the fly. You know what I mean? And if Julio is going to wind up topping out at ninety two, ninety three, but still. Yeah, you know, aside from the walks last year, I mean, it's the walks and home and home runs. You know what I mean? He wasn't giving up a lot of hits, but he was still having a ton of base runners because, right? That's that's yeah. why his batting average against it's like the most misleading stat. It's like people didn't have to hit off him all that much because he walked a ton of people. Yeah, like if you just hang back, he's gonna he's gonna wind up walking you. And then it, he was never giving up solo home runs. It was always. You know, three run home runs everywhere. So hopefully, uh, doing doing a program like that, um, I don't know how a guy who's twenty seven would wind up, especially one who's been in the the majors for one who's seven got years, twelve hundred innings on his arm. Yeah, I mean, he needs to throw faster, and the drive line is all I could think of for him. So <laughs> that's what I got. He for, needs uh, to throw Julio. faster, or he needs to use that butterfly curve. Yeah, and and you did start to see you did start to see him adapting to his current skill set last year. Working with Anibal was huge for him. Um, but who knows? The, the, hopefully we'll, we'll get uh, 2016 Julio next year. Not counting on it, but it would be nice because I, I still like him as a dude. I love him as a dude. I, it's, it's him as a pitcher where I have some struggles. Yeah, fair enough. That is the, the lens through which most of us view him anyway, so... Uh, I get people not liking him, but uh, I still like him. So, so all right, Tuki Toussaint. Um, I do think that Tuki is going to wind up starting 2019 um, on the big league squad as opposed to going back to AAA and starting. Uh, but I do think it's going to wind up being out of the bullpen. So, little context for that. I think that for Tuki, my resolution is I will not be frustrated when I'm forced to start 2019 in the bullpen and – once I move to the rotation, I will lower my walk rate to 3.25 walks per nine on my way to winning rookie of the year. I'm planting my flag on this, dude. Tuki Toussaint will win rookie of the year in 2019. It's going to be hard for him to win rookie of the year when Mike Soroka does. Touche. That is that is absolutely fair. They both still have their uh, prospect eligibility, so hopefully we can go neck and neck. And if Soroka's going neck and neck on anything, that giraffe-looking son He's of a win- bitch is definitely <laughs> going to win. He's winning with that 15-inch neck of his. <laughs> yeah, he's um, his neck looks like a thigh. It's unbelievable. I've got one. Luke Jackson. I will win Employee of the Month at Home Depot. <laughs> Don't see, think he sees the light of day. In uh, for the Braves in 2019. Or, you know what? I'll, I'll I'll be even nicer. I will win Reliever of the Year at Gwinnett. Oh, there you go. There you go. Or uh, you know, most li- voted most likely to succeed by the Sugarland Skeeters of the the independent league. I think there's a place for him, just not on the major league roster. No, I, th- I think you're right. I mean, and he had he's not as bad as he as he kind of gets gets made out to be. But it was it was very similar to Sam Freeman. His his numbers look better than they were. Because inherited runners aren't added to your ERA. Right. Inherited runners aren't yours. So it's like the Peter Moylan thing. I'm just mm-hmm. going to let all of your runners score, but none of mine. Yeah, he, he, he didn't let any of, of the guys that he put on base come around to score. Yeah, but what about everybody else? So, um, 
resolution for Luis Gahara, no cupcakes. This is going to be difficult because, as you guys know, his nickname is Brigadero. I came up with that. That is mine. That is property of Dylan Short and the Platinum Sombrero Podcast. Brigadero, if you're unsure of what that is, look it up. It is a Brazilian cupcake that perfectly encapsulates Luis Gohara. Brigadero. Sounds like some cowboy type stuff. It's awesome. And it, it. let me say this. We talked about this before the show. I'm not as like – I don't buy into the whole – Pitchers have to look like absolute monsters for them to succeed. I don't really care if you have a gut. Uh, I don't really care if you look like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Mr. Universe. What I care about is leg strength and leg drive. For Luis Gohara, who's reportedly lost 35 pounds coming in this offseason, it's a great show of commitment to his craft, which is the really the bigger story on here, from a guy that had uh, supposedly had some issues with, uh, with his drive and his motivation. My bigger thing is make sure that the legs are strong because that's what carries you through to the seventh inning. No, I think I think that's very well said. He's uh, we saw it in 2017. We have discussed how he deserves a mulligan for last year. Even whether he starts uh, 2019 in Gwinnett to kind of get himself back on track, or whether he they think that he's going to be best as a uh, Andrew Miller, Josh Hader type. You know, he's got a role on this team, and I think that out of all of the prospects, he's the most likely to stick around out of everybody just because they're not going to sell as low on him as they could on somebody like O'Reilly or, heaven forbid, they trade Ian Anderson. Um, but I, I think that uh, you're right. The the weight is a, is a really positive showing, but now he's just got to do something with it. You know, like if he – he was losing velocity last year and some of velocity comes from your legs, but I, I don't know, but it just, we will eventually look, look back at his 2018 and completely strike it from the record. I hope, I hope that it, that was just a complete anomaly. And I've said this, I hope he starts a triple A and I hope they keep him in the rotation because he needs to, he needs to work on that change up, which would be his third pitch. If you can, and I keep saying this, be patient, Braves fans. I've seen his name thrown out in a ton of trades. That would be a bad idea at this point. You'd be talking. You'd be taking a guy who was at his peak value after the 2017 season, complete 180. His 2018 season, like completely different. You'd be trading him at his absolute lowest value. I still think that Gohara is one of the highest upside arms in the entire system. I think he and Ian Anderson are like the two guys that have the highest potential. Yeah, and and once again, you know, the, the end of 2017, or just seeing him be on that same Acuna track in 2017, he did all of the same stuff Acuna did, just on the mound, except he actually made it to the majors. You know, Acuna wanted to stand out. The highest thrower, the uh, the fastest thrower of any lefty starter consistently, uh, and everybody, what people don't seem to get in the minors, he had an extremely low walk rate as well. He has command. The question is whether he can get that third pitch working enough to where hitters aren't sitting on his fastball. Yeah, and so keeping him in Gwinnett is will probably be crucial, not just for reestablishing the routine, but also for refining that last little bit because he, he's not all the way there. No, but he could. But he could be. He will impact the big league club in 2019 in some capacity, whether it's a starter or a reliever. Agreed. I think that he he's going to stick around. I, I fully agree with that. Uh, we've been talking a lot about the players. I'm going to move up to the management. Alex Anthopoulos. This is a big one. I will not use Mike Soroka as a blockbuster trade piece. <laughs> the, it, de- depending on what you read about 
JT Real Muto, their Soroka has been kicked around in a deal, or at least he was in early versions of it. And now that's apparently they've moved on from Soroka and they want Ian Anderson. So hopefully, you know, even even if it's trading for one of the big names like a Kluber or a Bauer type, then Soroka is just completely off the table. I've been a fan of his since the second we drafted him. And just I at no point should Mike Soroka be traded. I liked him when he was throwing 92. I love him now that he's throwing 97. Yeah, you're you were looking at somebody like he's the only person that I would even joke about a Greg Maddox comp with. He's amazing. Gives me a heart attack every time I see his name in a rumor. I know. I I still maybe it's just the Canadian connection, but I, I don't see Anthopolis moving moving Soroka. So hopefully we're safe. Hopefully we're safe there. Um, moving from the front office down into the dugout, Brian Snicker. I will not retire when Sam Freeman gets released. God knows he loves Sam Freeman, but I think that much like Luke Jackson, uh, you know, maybe, maybe Freeman will follow him to home Depot or maybe they, they can get jobs at home Depot corporate and they can wear like suits to work, you know, <laughs> feel, feel really important. Um, but yeah, I think that that's going to be a hard day for Snit when he realizes he doesn't have his his, uh, his one go to sixth inning toy to come in and ruin most things. Uh, bring in Sam. He's been gone for three months, Brian. <laughs> right. Wait. What do you mean? Wait. What? I got. Yeah. I got another guy in the dugout. Ron Washington. I will throw up at least three stop signs this season. <laughs> I think we need to set up the over under. On that, for for how many times should he have actually stopped someone for when he when he actually wound up sending them? Anytime but Freddie to, is at second base and, it, and it's a single, even even and if it's in the gap, like until it touches warning track dirt, I don't want Freddie running running third. I <laughs> know he's Kurt a, Suzuki, which we don't have to worry about now, but I saw that too many times. Yeah, Suzuki. Oh, God, he is—he could not beat the freeze. That dude is not fast. <laughs> not the most fleet of foot, even for a catcher. And now we have yeah. Brian McCann, who is even slower. I'm not—I'm not crazy here. Brian McCann might be the slowest player in baseball. No, I think I actually do think you're right. Uh, Darren Wilman, who worked for Statcast, was doing um, gifs or gifs or graphic graphic image format of. Uh, of races between all these guys based on their sprint speed. And it was, I think that McCann wound up in the same category as Billy Hamilton, which is he got lapped and like a McCann like a, might lose a race to a sea turtle on land. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's bad news. Like most it, people's it, it, sprint speed is around 26, 27. McCann's is probably like 18. Yeah. The, he is, he is certainly not fleet of foot. So, um, yeah, that's that's bad news right there. So if Wash has any designs, like uh, I I don't know. I I hope that one more year because this will be his third year as third base coach. Is that right? I believe so. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, what am I? Gonna, I was gonna say like he's learned his lesson. He's seventy. He's not gonna <laughs> learn his lesson. No, he's he ain't everybody. <laughs> Just throw up three, even if somebody has to like. Hit him with a rubber band, like as he's windmilling an arm, just like shoot a hornet. If you remember making hornets in class as an elementary school guy, just kind of mm-hmm. hit him in the ribs with one of those. Yeah, like if if somebody's like coming down second towards third and they don't see any sign at all, they're not going to just go on their own. You know what I mean? So if Wash is distracted, that could be the key. Like just get Kevin Seitzer like humming pennies at him from the dugout or whatever. 
you know, maybe, uh, maybe that'll work. I think you're onto something. Okay. I think we're down to two more and I, I disagree with you on this first one, but you've got one for Jeff Rancourt and I disagree. Well, my note here for Jeff Rancourt is I'm going to stop referring to the Braves as we slander, sir. Well, I do it. You do it. We all do it. But Frank Core is doing it like he's the only one that could have actually said we at some point. He's not a brave anymore. I mean, he's a he's got, you know, he's in the family. He's on the on the tree or whatever. But like he's not he's not we. we you can't you can't still be we. We you and me. We can be we. He he can't be we. I disagree. I like that he does that. That's one of the things that I like about him. That's what I think. That's what allows him to be as excited as he is and actually enjoy baseball, which we did not hear a lot of last season. Him replacing Joe Simpson might be the most significant upgrade of the off season for um, any team. Yeah, that is that's huge. Like I and I didn't hate Joe Simpson with the fire that burns like ten thousand suns, like a lot of people do, but it got pretty. It got just, really bad. It got real bad there at the end. And uh, I would listen, you know, Don Sutton, who was on the radio, Don, Don just sounds like he's getting old, you know, like he, he's not crotchety though. He just sounds like, sounds labored. You know what I mean? And meanwhile, Joe's not even like out of breath. He's just mad as hell about something. You know, it just, it would change every day about, about what he was going to wind up doing, but he never used the term. We, I don't care. Frank Hoor, I you can keep using we, just don't be Don. And or don't be Joe. You can be Don. I like Don. <laughs> Don's Don's fine. Don is like a sweet old grandpa. Joe is like a, yeah. a pissed off. Don doesn't dude. like the new game, but he'll he'll tell you and he'll make a joke, but then he'll you know, but he's he's lighthearted about it. Joe's like, I hate everything. Yeah, yeah. Very curmudgeonly. He is grumpy the dwarf. Yeah. But I got one more. All right. Franco Garcia. At some point, I will lie about what Acuna or Ozzy or Johan Camargo say during the season. <laughs> I have wondered about that. I mean, I bet I, he already has. I, you know, I don't, I don't speak, I don't speak Spanish. I mean, some, some basics that I picked up in, in high school and in college, but like, I, I don't speak it well enough to actually translate what he's saying on the fly. But sometimes like I'll pick up a word here and there. I'm like, he didn't, did he just say something about a carnival? I swear he did. <laughs> you know? And he's like, when he's relaying the question to Acuna, like he could just ask him something completely random. I have I have no idea. So I, I would do that. I would be a horrible interpreter because I would just start asking random questions. I would translate the wrong question on purpose. Yeah, and how long can something like that stand? How I mean, how long is somebody gonna wind up just just completely pulling a fast one on everybody on the air? How are they gonna you know what I mean? Somebody speaks Spanish, man. <laughs> Somebody's gonna notice. I mean, I I would do that in a heartbeat. I think it would be hilarious. Try to get them in a fight when it's like Paul Bird doing the interview. Say something about hey, when Paul Bird's like, hey, great swing on that, Ronald. How did you know it was gonna be that pitch and how'd you hit it that far? And Franco goes, hey, Paul Bird just says that uh, he found a few loopholes in your swing that he would have struck you out easily on his changeup. <laughs> You know, I I think it could make for some fantastic television. But then again, at the same time, Acuna does speak a little bit of English as well. So eventually, some somebody's going to stand up and take notice. But I will say, until that happens, I I am here for that. Franco Garcia, like he needs his own locker. That dude is amazing. Needs his own bobblehead. 
He does. He absolutely does. I would I would make sure to show up at a game for the Franco and Acuna uh, interpretive or interpreter interpretive is something completely different. <laughs> All right, we're coming down to the to the wire here. I got one more thing to do. We'll we'll touch on this in the coming months once you know spring training gets underway. But let's throw an early vault question in here. What's your prediction for the Braves this season and for the NL East? Who? Well, after the Braves signed Bryce Harper, <laughs> and I think they're going to win 117. And um, they will win the division by 29 games. Uh, they will win the NLDS 3-2 over the Dodgers. Uh, then they will sweep the NLCS over the Brewers. And um, the American League representative for the World Series uh, will just say that it will be the Yankees will um, not even bother showing up because they know that they would have wound up getting swept anyway. Uh, repeat this formula until Bryce opts out of his contract in 2028. Uh, and then we will have uh, eight, eight new flags that are flying above SunTrust Park. That is my that is my prediction for the year, and my dogs are freaking out about it. Because so my obviously dogs freaked out. Because Gucci did not like what you said. He doesn't feel like you took this very seriously. It, the season doesn't start for three months. We already... <laughs> Look, I said we're going to sign Bryce Harper. We're going to sign Bryce Harper and win 117. All of the playoff stuff I made up. But everything I said up until then, that was all true. All right. Well, I'm going to say that until I see who is manning right field, uh, I'm going to I'm gonna make a conservative guess that we'll get at least what we got on the Nick Markakis. Uh, I think the Braves, I think they're in a weird spot because last year was built up so much on the fact that we completely obliterated everybody in our division. Uh, I think that the Braves win 87. I think we do win the division. I actually just think it's going to be a much more highly contested division. So as weird as it sounds, I think the Braves can take a step forward as a team and actually lose a couple of wins off the board because the Mets are better this year, health pertaining. Philly is going to be better this year. The Nationals are not going to repeat the disaster that they had a year ago. We're all still going to beat up on the Marlins, but the other three teams are are going to take a step forward. So I think that the NL East will be the same amount of tightness. It's going to be an extremely close race. I actually just think it's going to be more teams involved. I, I think that is that is very well said. Um, as much as I would like to see us win 117, I think that is probably a, a might optimistic. I think I think that uh, whoever wins the division is going to be able to do it with very very close to 90 wins. Um, I think that you're looking at a division that could wind up having four teams within five games of each other. That's at the what very I would end. say. Health pertaining because it's you know it is the Mets, so you know somebody's going to get injured. But until they lose somebody, just going basically off off the guys they have on their roster, they've got some pieces to pull out some games, and you're you're just not going to repeat what you did a year ago, where you bullied the Phillies for the first month where you bullied the Nationals for the first month and really for most of the year, you completely obliterated the Mets and the Marlins, and that's where a lot of the Braves' record came from. The other three teams have taken a significant step forward with some good offseason signings, so I do think it's going to be a much more highly contested division, which is kind of a good thing. It'll be a better division overall. So, you know, where where the NL Central last season was, was the division where there was three or four teams that were really, really strong, I think the NL East will be that way this year. Uh, and it should it should create a just as much excitement as a year ago. I think that the season could come down to the final week. Yeah, a lot of nail biter games, uh, nail biter season, really. And I, I think that 
the fact that they had beat up on on kind of subpar teams all season really showed in the playoffs. I mean, the easy talking point to talk about how nobody hit, but I think that just speaks to how how much the Braves relied on winning inside their own division as opposed to being able to just go out there and, and beat anybody. They had a losing record outside of the NL East. So I think Donaldson helps. I think um, McCann is kind of a lateral move if you take everything into account. Um, from Suzuki, loved Kurt, but but he had plenty of shortcomings on his own. You're going to um, have to get creative with that lineup because that's three, that's three essential guaranteed outs when McCann is playing. And but this also comes back to the fact that there there is still time, and and I think that uh, God, what did Buster only say last week that there's still 200 free agents that are unsigned. Yeah, something, you know? something is going to happen for all those yeah. that are you know impatient. The Braves will make a move at the very least. I think they shore up the bullpen, and you know they're going to add at least somebody to right field. Whether it's going to be somebody to platoon with Duvall, or whether they go and they get the trade target that they actually want or whether they're able to convince Bryce to come down off the 10-year offer. We'll see what it is. We're is. I'm excited to see it. I know you're excited to see it too, Doc. We'll keep following this in the coming weeks. Hopefully next week we'll have some more news to bring to you. For all of you out there, I hope you enjoyed the first episode of 2019. Have a great season, and I hope you have it here with us on the Platinum Sombrero. Thanks, bye.